Hello, I'm Mary Spicer, and thank you for joining me for another episode of Behind Fashion. In this unprecedented time, the fashion industry, like so many industries, is in distress. People around the world have gathered together to demand the social and racial justice that we all deserve. No industry is exempt, and the hard work continues. I created this series so that we could help each other moving forward in this new fashion landscape. Over the next few weeks, I will introduce you to many behind the scenes of fashion show and event production, from producers to designers, models, and so many more. During this webinar, I will be taking questions for my guest. If you are watching live on Facebook or at a later time on my YouTube channel, you can send me those questions to mary at jamproductionsco.com. For the virus that discourages the touching of clothing and the interaction of people, what does the future hold for the fashion industry and how are our roles changing? I look forward to sharing our ideas and journeys as we move forward in this new fashion world. Today, it is my great pleasure to introduce you all to Judith Rice. Judith Rice, president of Judith Rice & Associates, a New York-based fashion event production company, which she began in 1991. Originally from Chicago, Illinois, and having studied speech and theater, first at DePaul University, then at St. Francis, now known as Lewis University, had spent a large part of her working life as a professional actress. She has found that her theatrical training and experience is a perfect preparation for fashion work since so many theatrical elements and functions are integral to the process of fashion show production. Prior to starting her own business, Judith was an assistant to Michael Arsenault, one of the premier fashion show producers in the industry, whose longtime clients included Calvin Klein, Bill Blass, Oscar de la Renta, and Arnold Scassi. After Michael's sudden death in 1991, Judith was encouraged by many in the industry to branch out on her own. Her client list quickly grew to include Donna Karen, Badgley Mishka, Jill Stewart, Nanette Lepore, Vivian Tam, Monique Lulier, Chato Ralph Rucci, Pierre Moss, and Tadashi Shoji. Judy eventually expanded beyond the ready-to-wear to include menswear, bridal, and fur collections, as well as numerous charity events and department store productions for such retailers as Nordstrom, Saks Fifth Avenue, and Bloomingdale's. Judith tailors her services to her, her client-specific needs, everything from show direction to full-scale show production. She has a particular fondness for working with emerging designers, guiding them toward getting it right the first time out. <laughs> In the realm of special events, Judith staged a fashion event for Moet de Chandon at the Beverly Wilshire in Los Angeles, as well as High Tea for Hope at the Hotel Bel Air for the, um, to benefit the Robert Urich Fund for Sarcoma Research. Additionally, she has handled show direction for Evelyn Lauder Breast Cancer Research Foundation at the Waldorf Astoria Hotel in New York and fashion events for the St. Luke Roosevelt Beth Israel Hospital's Women's Boards. Judith produced the first runway presentation by Teen People Magazine and produced a major fashion event with Monique Lulier 
in Manila. Welcome, Judy, and thank you for joining me on Behind Fashion. I just, I just looked at my whole life story or heard it in the past two and a half minutes. Mon Dieu. I go, oh yeah, and I didn't know that. And you know that we were just skimming. We, we, we brought it down, so <laughs> there is a lot more, but yeah, yeah. did you get your mug? I, I sent it I to you. I did. Oh, I'm never sure, but congratulations yeah. on all of that. Launch it, as my people say. And, if you, and those who know me know how much I need things like this. Uh, <laughs> coffee is a meal at certain times of the year, so thank you, Mary. You're welcome. Including now. <laughs> uh, and you know, before we get into your amazing story and uh, moving forward, talking about your career and so much more that I have questions about, I do want to check in with you and your family. You and your sister are very close. How are you both doing? We're doing well. Um, I don't know if anyone envisioned that we would be doing, you would be having these conversations even now after the middle of March to uh, end of July, uh, June. But um, we've both been very fortunate. We're extremely compliant. Um, you know, I get a little cabin fevery, but I live near Central Park. I live near the Hudson River and I can walk to either of them very, very easily, and I take advantage of that. I always have, but uh, since I've lived here, but even more so now, there's an appreciation of the respite and the beauty and just getting out of your too small apartment, which is typical here. For my sister, she has worked full-time her entire adult life. So to be able to work from home, instead of going downtown, to work. She, uh, it's a whole new world for her. She loves being there, not necessarily because of the circumstance, but it's freed her up to just enjoy. And I'm thrilled for her on that level. And that's a positive. There you there's, go. There's a, believe me, <laughs> being vertical is a positive right now. I'm very, we're both very grateful for our good health. Well, I, I am so grateful that you are able to come on and take the time. Um, it is a very rare treat. And um, I do want to talk- we have time. We have time. As we have time. <laughs> it is incredibly rare. Um, one of your earliest gigs was as a backup singer for Juliet Krause. And can you tell me about it, that experience and how you ended up with her in Las Vegas? Yeah, I've often said to people, if anyone had had a crystal ball, and told me, you know, Mary Midwest, that I was going to wind up in Las Vegas working, no less, I, I would have thought they were smoking something. That came as a great <laughs> shock to me. Um, what happened was I had worked out of college uh, professionally in Chicago as an actor. And you worked the circuit there. It was a time that you, it was, there was a lot of theater going on, still is, or will be again. And uh, I was quite steadily employed there for several years. And a show of Fiddler, a production of Fiddler on the Roof brought me to Los Angeles. And I thought, well, I've never really been away from home. I did some work out of town, but that was the extent of it. I thought it was time. I was in Chicago. And uh, I went out there and I sort of stayed for a while. It was pretty, it was nice. I had a good living situation. And um, it was really through a friend. I had done some work out there, some theater, and I, a, a fellow that I worked with, knew Juliet's producer and said that they're looking for a singer. And I was itching to sort of move on. I wasn't quite sure how they was going to do that, but I was. And I thought, well, the odds of this happening are not great, but I'll go in and audition for it. And I got it. And um, Juliet's 
career was built on dance. And at that point in time, the largest part of her career was in Las Vegas, where she was a headliner, as, as there are and were then. And um, the next thing I knew, I was hired. I was in LA. I had a fitting with Bob Mackey, which, who designed the costumes for the show. So right away, you're on cloud nine because I, you know, I grew up on Carol Burnett and eventually Cher, and I had such admiration and respect for his career. And um, I remember vividly going into the fitting, and I, I knew a few of the dancer singers from the Carol Burnett show, and they raved about him. They worked with him week in and week out during season. They said, he's so wonderful. He always makes you feel like the star no matter whether you're the last girl in the in the chorus line or whatever and when i was waiting for my fitting he was in the next studio which was separated by a folding curtain that was semi-open so i'm killing time i'm staring in there and i said gee who is that brunette lady with my haircut and she's doing all these little stretches in her little dress it was a very short little dress and i went oh that's dorothy hamill i have her haircut. <laughs> that was a humbling experience. I went back to being the girl in the chorus, but he did, he, he treated me like a queen as he did everybody. And fast forward about 20 years and I wound up working for him in oh. show, show production and direction. We are still in touch. He hasn't worked in New York except for winning a Tony Award. But whenever I see him and his wonderful design director, Joe McFate, they are if, if you could divide, define niceness in show business or the fashion business, you would you would think of Bob and Joe. Wow, so that's glad that's amazing. My life even occasionally. And you know, I do have a photo of you <laughs> and Julia <laughs> Prowse. Now, this is Judy for all of you. This is Juliet. In my long ago <laughs> youth, Juliet, rest your soul. She, I think that we, uh, Juliet had a smile as big as outdoors and apparently mine was pretty ample so we were having sort of a a pepsodent uh contest which i may have won that night i don't know why but that's I, that's the that's the photo your smile is huge and i do want to point out to younger viewers that that we didn't oh. have add an appearance add some sparkle this is actually as they took the picture you we're literally sparkling this much. Thank you, Bob. Juliet was a great lady. And even after I had left the act, we remained friends for the rest of her life. And uh, I still have contact with her family. Her niece, Juliet, is uh, my Facebook pal. So it's, it's a wow. nice, I met extraordinary people between, I have to tell you, between LA and Vegas. You know, Vegas, especially to work there when you're not going there to play is a fascinating experience. And people go to one another's shows, you know, stars that are working or stars that are passing through. And Juliet was very generous with sharing her green room with us, if anyone was there. And in strolls Lawrence Olivier, in strolls Natalie Wood, in strolls Robert Wagner, Shirley MacLaine, and, you, and they hung around and had a couple of drinks after the show. So you, you spent some nice time with them. And I would never have expected that in, in that world coming my way so it's a nice memory very nice memory um, times. so how did you go from i i think you've said once before you were a singer who swayed in yes. las vegas for juliet prouse um how did you go from that to living in manhattan new york 
It was challenging. I mean, Julia was very generous with us. We each got a spot in the show as well as the three, trio being her backup. And it was, it was I had been to New York a number of times. It probably should have been my first destination, even though the friends I made elsewhere in LA, I have been friends for my life and I won't lose them. But um, I needed to move on. It was something I had never done, should have done, and and wanted to do. So I was, we would work three weeks in Vegas, or a month in Vegas, have three weeks off, a month in Vegas, and I used one of those in-between periods to work my way east. And I continued to work with her. We went to South Africa for a month where she was uh, raised. She was a child of English parents, but the, the work took them there. And that was an extraordinary experience. Uh, absolutely wonderful. Especially at Christmas time when it's summer. The only Christmas I was ever away. But so you I, went to I, South I, Africa with her though, right? We did, yes. She, she wanted her family, the kid, the nieces and nephews were growing up, or the niece and nephews, and she wanted them to see what she did in person. Wow. She was still and doing what, So, I mean, we think about how we travel today, but what, what was the date that you did that, that you went to South Africa? It was late 70s. It was a very, very different time. Yes. And a much better time in, in, in most ways in that regard. Although the people were extraordinary anyone you met. Very kind, very generous, very welcoming, and a uh, beautiful part of the world. I highly wow. recommend it. Um, but yeah, we had two weeks in Johannesburg, two weeks in Cape Town, which was spectacular. And then the trip was so long that I broke it up and went to Paris on the way down for about three days on my own, uh -huh. which was interesting. I had enough French to get myself fed and watered and then uh, went on to another adventure with a safari. But uh, that was the way to break up the travel. It was, long. it was long. So with all that travel, and then you came into New York. From... I, I, I did come into New uh, Yeah, I was in New York by then, and I flew from uh, New York to South Africa. But I had met in LA a fella named uh, Michael Arsenault. And he, he was a fashion event producer in New York, although I met him in Los Angeles. He said, hey, if you ever come east, look me up. And I... This is where I kind of, my own memory fails me, you know, because he said he always hired theater people to work with him. And when I did come to town, I did start to work in theater. And I know that I didn't pursue that contact immediately, but a few years later, our paths must have crossed or I did reach out to him. I quite frankly can't remember, but uh, he said, great, great. And Michael, at the time when his career was unfolding, fashion shows were a very, very industry-focused event. It was mm -hmm. the press, the buyers, um, the, the, they would show in the grand ballroom of the plaza. Calvin Klein showed in his own showroom, which converted into a runway. And wow. it was an intimate audience, but a very select audience. And that was just, they were all fascinating. And he was a great, he was wonderful to us. So we were in those kind of spaces and events for about 10 years. And there were very, very few producers doing what Michael did. And so he was really highly, highly regarded. But when he, you say, I'm sorry to stop you, because <laughs> when you say, no, no, when, when it just, uh, when you said not many producers do what he did, Correct. What was the difference? Well, it, his, his difference was focused. He, he had been trained as an illustrator at Pratt, but he was very immersed in the Broadway world because his, it wasn't his partner, his roommate was um, a choreographer named Michael Sean, who was very, very well known in theater. And I think Michael always felt that what was missing from fashion shows was that. 
you know, a bit of show business, he could design a set. You know, he designed the Cody Awards set. He was very, very prolific man, very kind man. And he was loyal to his designers and they were loyal to him. And um, that was before social media, you know, press was press, front row was front row was editors. And um, so he, you know, it was, it was, but he always hired people that understood that theater vocabulary that worked very well. And um, unfortunately for all of us, Michael passed away quite suddenly in 1991, uh, working of course at his desk and he apparently died of a stroke. And it was sudden, it was shocking. He was a young man, he was 47. And um, shortly thereafter, people in the industry was very close to season because he died at the end of July. And um, a couple of people had said, is anyone that worked with Michael going to try to pick up the ball here because he's, you know, he's built a really wonderful career and a great deal of respect. And there was a runway model in, in these are the years when those women traveled the world, you know, the hundred world-class runway women and a model named Anna Bailey was one of them. And we, we all work together constantly. So you get to know people quite well. And Anna was a smoker. Anna was from Manila, uh, Manila, certainly the Philippines, um, I'm not sure where, and she had this very beautiful accent and a very smoky voice. And when she was aware of Michael's passing, uh, she said to me, Judy, do it. <laughs> you must do it. Because if you don't, someone else will step in. If you don't like it, you can get out, but do it, do it. Thank you, Anna. I, I listened to Anna and um, I rewrote my resume to reflect the work I had done with Michael, which was extensive. His first assistant, Renee Bauman, who had actually been a dancer in Chorus Line, original cast, she worked with us for a while. She continued his work and then really wanted something else. She had other dreams to pursue. So I was sort of the le le next woman standing. And I said yes to it. And uh, I sent out a cover letter referencing my work with Michael. And I received a call from a woman named Jody Donahue, who was one of those legends in fashion public relations. And she called and she said, it's the best color cover letter I've ever received. You're doing Arnold Skaz. Wow. So that was my first jump without any protection whatsoever. He had a very <laughs> ambitious production planned. I had seen him in action many times, so I knew how he worked, uh, which could be challenging. And you discover very quickly with any client, you must find the part that you really love in that human being because you're dealing with them at the most high pressure time. It's their opening night and they're, they're going to be in that place and they're understandably. And that has served me very, very well because everybody's got that wonderful part in their soul. And the sooner you tap into it, the happier everyone will be, the happier you'll be, even when it's challenging. And it was challenging and I had to hire ballerinas. I had eight women dancing on point down a runway doing grand jetés and I was panic stricken after. I was spitting cotton thinking he's going to kill me. He's going to kill me. It did go well, but you're not feeling that. So I get this message. It's Arnold, call me. And I went, yep, here it goes. And I did call and he said, it was wonderful. I know it was your first time. I know it was without Michael and how hard that was. And he said, and I know how difficult I can be. But everything went beautifully. 
my mother could not have given me a better review. And I never forgot him for it. And it always made everything tolerable when you, when you began to realize that that was there. And, you know, it's just the way it works. It's a high pressure situation and uh, there's no do over. Right. So it was it, every, everything I've done, I have learned from. Wow. And, and that would, that's the greatest gift one can have. Even, even the things that didn't go well, you learn from them. What, what a start. And, and so the first shows that you were calling, were those at Bryant Park at that time? There was no Bryant Park. Oh, wow. At that point, well, with, I take that back. There was, there was, it had just begun, well, it actually began a year after I started. But there was, there's something was going on. We did his show in the Hudson Theater at the Maclo, um, which was used from time to time for things. But I, I, if that was 90, no, I don't, I think that, Seventh on Sixth and Bryant Park started within a year and a half after that. Mm -hmm. And, and wow. there was a great need because that allowed a lot of designers to come out of their showrooms and um, affordably at the time do, do put their work on a runway. So there was a demand. My timing, I, I often think if Michael had survived, it would have been a grand time for him because there was demand. And that yeah. was when more companies sprang up. Careers were created out of, of Seventh on Six and Bryant Park. And I remember when the, the last day of the tents, I remember I was given a quote to write. And that quote actually was one of the many that wound up on the side of the tents when the whole tent was designed with people making a comment that, that had worked in those many years. And it, it gave me a career that I didn't expect to have. Oh, wow. That's I'm amazing. Very, very grateful. And when really you grateful. and I spoke quite a while ago, you said something that, that really stuck out for me you said, we don't work in isolation. If I show up on Project Runway, it's an accident. Um, <laughs> which, you were the stage director for Project Runway. Yeah. Um, but you and your team are truly, what I have observed, you're, you're more concerned with the show. The show has to, has to be, you know, what is happening with the show. More than, and, and, and people have to understand, there are celebrities, there are people all over, the back of house, front of house, they're everywhere. But, um, you know, your group is just focused on the show, making sure that it's perfect. Do you find that's common with production crews working New York Fashion Week now, or is it becoming more celebrity-centric? Well, um, I can't speak for other shows, just the ones I'm involved in. Um, what there is is a very specific division of labor between production and public relations. Um, sometimes they're done in a larger company, they're done under the same roof, which, which occurs. I'm a small company, so that, that is not what I do. So I work with a variety of public relations firms. And it's, it's a very, very tight collaboration, mainly to the extent that their job is the front of house. They take care of the celebrities. They're, they're getting the people in, getting the right people in the right seats. So it's mammoth. And I commend them for it because I, I don't think I'm built for that. Ours is quite separate. And you're, you're aware of things going on when there is ziz in the audience. You know that the photographers cluster. I'll see the top of some little blonde head sitting in the front row and going, well, I guess it's somebody. I just can't tell who it is. But you're in constant motion. Um, I know how very, very quickly that prep time goes. And you just don't have time to enter into that. You don't have time to take photographs. You don't, you, you have to stay centered. 
and you're negotiating time with a lot of teams, the hair, the makeup, the dressers, and it's, uh, it's a balancing act. It's a, it's a dance, but what usually will happen is where public relations and I have the most contact is you're checking with them to find out how much time they need as the time gets tighter. They're checking with me to see how we're doing backstage. For the most part, backstage tends to be ready because we may not have much notice to start. So I double check that there is a full lineup before I do anything. The venue is in touch with us all the time. Our audience is in. There is a constant, constant communication. And hair and makeup teams tend to be very cognizant of that. We give them as much as we can possibly give them. I try to rehearse early so they get the models back and they have more time to prep them. And at its best, it's a well-oiled machine. There is always a variable. You will always start late for one reason or another. It tends to be someone who's in transit that mm -hmm. is very important in that audience and you must wait. And eventually it's a fish or cut bait or whatever you want to call it. And again, you're trying to make all those pieces of the puzzle. Usually the venue will say, we really need to, to go to stay on schedule. And on occasion, the only person who isn't quite ready is the designer. Uh, yeah. That last couple of minutes, I, I don't even sometimes appreciate the glamor of it because you can't focus. But even when I see that lineup backstage before everyone is ready to walk, it is dazzling. You know, this, these exquisite human beings and exquisite clothes doesn't get much better. And, and occasionally I have a moment like that on the runway where you go, wow, because you've never seen it before, head to toe. But for the designer, if it takes that extra two minutes that they can feel like that and have a good time at their own party, which I think is important, um, that is, you must hold for that. And then eventually you might have to say to them, we really have to go, <laughs> can we do this now? <laughs> and then and they, they get it, they get it. They don't want to be rude. So I, and I'm very fortunate that way with clients. They are conscious of that. And right. uh, I appreciate it. Everybody appreciates it. And you know, with the pandemic, uh, yeah. with everything going on in New York, uh, around the world, London Fashion Week did have um, their fashion shows, I think they mixed menswear and resort together mm -hmm. into a virtual fashion show. Paris and Milan both just announced doing virtual fashion shows. It's, it's all online. Um, have you heard any plans for New York at all discussed what they might be doing? There's chit chat. Um, I wouldn't consider myself an inner circle person in terms of having access to information that nobody else yet has. Um, but there's, you know, I've had conversations with public relations, you know, kind of sensing, getting some sense from designers. I think there's a lot of hurry up and wait going on because uh, certainly virtual, I've heard a great deal about, you know, that people want to do something. And so that is with, without question um, where things appear to be landing, but there will be hybrids possibly out of that. A great deal, I know that there's a lot of prep involved, but who knows what will happen between now and September. I mean, even, even right. school in New York is still somewhat of a TBD in certain situations. So you're really, you're at the mercy of a lot of things and um, you can glean information. I've had conversations about concept with people that, of things that could work. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, that's sort of, right. we're, in a, we're in a holding pattern in, in many, many ways. 
but and I think Pierre Moss um, did say I forget which article it was, but he did say that he's going to be showing a drive-in. Now, what that's yep. going to look like, I think it's a movie and you drive in and watch there it. Is, but it's, it's yeah, I've, I've done three shows with them. They're they're absolutely a delight. And, he, and Kirby is a very, very gifted, uh, very gifted man. And um, they're, they're all, there's always a phenomenal story to be told. And I've learned a great deal from that company and, and 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 their timing in terms of how they they look at the black experience in this country historically, which is a, it, it, it's textbook. It, it really right. it could be taught. Uh, Kirby is so attuned to it, and I've been told that they will possibly use bits and pieces, maybe from the last event. I don't know before that, but whatever it'll be, it'll be a surprise and it will be compelling, and. Uh, I, I'm not the least bit surprised that he's already yes. very, very clear about what he's going to do. That is no surprise <laughs> at all. And um, what do you think that the future holds for fashion events? Do you think people are responding to the virtual reality fashion shows? Um, well, I, I, I'll personalize it and I have a certain amount of bias um, and maybe self-interest quite possibly, but, but actually bias on the level of my background. My history is theater. My history is live performance. And um, I've been, we've been very, very fortunate that the, the theater industry in New York has collaborated with its players, with all the ancillary unions. And there has been a lot of streaming going on, uh, in, in, at least in, in the Broadway world, of shows that were done, that were not, would not normally have been streamed. But uh, there's the availability I watched um, I watched a production the other night of a show called Anne. It was a one woman show that was written and performed by Holland Taylor, who many of you will know, and if you don't know the name, you'll certainly know the face. And it was a, a, a one woman show about the late governor of Texas, Anne Richards. I had seen it in the theater and, they were run and I loved it. And they were running it on stream uh, via PBS the other night. And I watched it again and it was brilliant. But having seen it live, and I actually did twice have the opportunity to see it live at Lincoln Center, and then watching it, it's a different experience. The two live performances I saw were different from one another. It's never the same twice. And I think there's a hunger for that. There is, there is a shared experience in a live audience of something that will never happen the same way again. Fashion people like change. Yeah. This will work because it will work and it needs to work. But as time goes by and whatever our new normal becomes, I envision a hybrid. There is nothing like this, the look of fabric moving in front of you on a real person's body. And um, that in two dimension just does not, to me, have the same impact. The, there's a lot of overload on images, on social media, online, on personal websites of designers. So I, I, I would hope, and I could be long <laughs> gone by that, but I would hope that it does come back in a form, and in a form that can be enjoyed by more people in person, because there's nothing quite like it. There really That's is true. nothing quite like it. <laughs> now, in the time that I've known you, you became not only the first new president of the Actors' Equity Foundation in 20 years, but also the first female president in its history. 
Can you tell me a little bit about the Actors' Equity Foundation? The Actors' Equity Foundation, she said, is, um, <laughs> is an adjunct, I wouldn't call it an appendage, or the, the, the arm of, the, of Actors' Equity, which is the Stage Actors' Union and Stage Managers' Union. Um, it, it is the philanthropic arm of Actors' Equity Association. And its, um, a, it's, its mission is to support professional actors in the theater, the theaters themselves in which the actors work, and the communities that are served by that work. Um, we have some endowed awards that have been left by individuals with very specific criteria. We grant grants to theaters across the country, about 150 grants per year. And we have developed a series, we've been kind of truncated because of what we're experiencing now, but my goal is to expand on, on a nationwide level the masterclass concept. We've been able to do one. We did one with a wonderful singer, Liz Calloway. Uh, we did it live. We're hoping to be able to stream them. We have, uh, and annually, there is a vocal workshop uh, sponsored by Wild Cornell Hospitals and uh, for the care and feeding of, of, the, of the throat of the singer. And wow. um, casting people, agents, you know, anything that can help actors develop their careers. We're focusing as much on actor education as possible. And we're a small player in a big world. You know, our, our resources are limited. So we welcome any help we can get. Don't feel pressured, but oh. it, uh, it's a fabulous <laughs> organization and we, and we appreciate any support we get. Well, and in these times, everyone needs to come together and support each other in any way that we can. So everyone, if you can and would like to give to Equity, Actors Equity Foundation, please go to their website, www.actorsequityfoundation.org. Thank you. you for that. And, I, and, I, and we do have that commonality like the rest of, yeah. of the world. Actors are unemployed across the United States. It's just the way it is. And there are issues that surround that of working on a stage, working with audiences that are very, very complex. And, and the union is being very, very conscious of keeping people safe. Yes. So uh, all the help we can get, we need. And we need all of that live theater and uh, fashion shows and fashion theater is so intertwined in movies and television. So uh, any help that people can give, that's wonderful. Thank you so well, much. For thank you, Judy. And I never got to any uh, questions from the audience, but if I get anything, I'll send it to you. I'll come back. I'm kind of getting to like this. <laughs> oh, that'd be great. I would love it. I know we would all love it. I just invited myself. <laughs> I, you, can, you can invite yourself anytime. <laughs> no, it's very kind of you to think of me, Mary, and bring me on. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye-bye. <laughs> And everyone, again, if you can and would like to give to the Actors' Equity Foundation, please go to their website, actorsequityfoundation.org. If you shop on Amazon, there is Amazon Smiles, and um, you can pick Actors' Equity Foundation under that. 5% of your purchases through Amazon will go to help them. Um, it is... Uh, a heck of a time and we all need to come together and help each other through this because we will be back on stage soon enough. Thank you all for attending this week's Behind Fashion series with my guest Judith Rice. Judith, Judith's website is www.judithrice.com. Next week I will be joined by Jeff Williams.
See you all next week, Wednesday, July 1st, 10 a.m. Mountain Time, noon on the East Coast, 9 a.m. on the West Coast, and 5 p.m. British Summer Time. All the best to you and yours.